I had a pastor friend in Oklahoma tell me a story that happened. He was not preaching, but he was in the service. It was a church probably ran about 300, and they had a center aisle right here in the middle. And a lady with a very bad four-year-old son were sitting near the front. Now, my advice from years of pastoring, if you have bad children, sit in the back. It's just easier to get them out, out that way and spank them. Uh, without a big to-do, but they're sitting down front, and the preacher starts preaching, and the kid, really, he's got ADHD, DDD, and ADAA, and all of it, and he goes crazy, and finally, the mom has had enough, and she picks that kid up with one arm, and she begins the long trek towards the back door, and guys, when you're preaching, and that happens, I I lose you guys completely for a minute, because it doesn't matter if I'm talking about Jesus, and hell, and tithing, you aren't listening to anything, you are focusing on the kid who's fixing to get whipped, right, and that mom has a clear vision of what she's going to do to that boy when they get out of the back door, right when they got to the back door, that little boy grabbed the two handles on the door, turned around and hollered, please pray for me. <laughs> and they went outside and only God knows what happened. And my friend said he has never in his life seen a more sincere request for prayer than that. We're talking this, uh, this morning about praying for others. If you were here last week, we talked about the power of praying for other people. When you pray for others, it is powerful how you can, can connect God with them. So this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to try to put some handles on that about how do we do it effectively? How do we effectively pray for other people? We want to do it because it does matter. It does work. It does make a difference. So we're going to look at some some things on how to do it effectively. We're going to be in Numbers 14, where we were last week, but we're also going to use a lot of different scriptures. So follow along with your Bible, but I hope you're taking notes or have something to write with, and you can write some of these scriptures down. But let's begin with this. Praying for other people is one of the most important things you can do for them. Without a shadow of a doubt, praying for people is one of the most important things that you you can do for them. In, In chapter 14, verse 10 through 12, it says, "...the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb." And the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. God showed up, but this was not a good thing that God showed up here. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt, with utter disregard? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs that I have done among them? I'm going to disown them, and not only am I going to disown them, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses, I'm going to make a greater nation from you mightier than they were. Wow. These people are in trouble. Quick review if you were here. If you weren't here, what's happening is the Jewish people are on the edge of going in the promised land. It's God's will that they do this, but they take a vote and they decide not to do that. And God has had flat out enough for these people at this point. So God shows up and he said, I've told you to do this. It's going to be great. You don't want to do it. Guess what? You don't have to do it. I'm going to kill all of you right here in the desert, except about 20 of them probably. Now you go, man, God's being really mean. God never does anything that's wrong. It's, it's, it's a weird story, but you have to understand these people had pushed God to the utter limits, and God was through with them. Let's look what Moses does in verse 13. Moses objected. That doesn't mean he was trying to argue with God. What it means, Moses interjected. I believe he probably fell on his knees in his face, and he began to pray, God, what are the Egyptians going to think when they hear about this? 
They know full well the power you displayed in rescuing your people from Egypt. Listen, when these people were literally in a life and death struggle, when the judgment of God was fixing to come down on their heads, immediately what he did was he immediately began to intercede. Intercede means to pray for someone else for them. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, listen to what this verse says. In fact, I'm going to ask you, would you read it aloud with me? I urge you, ask God to help them. The very first phrase, I urge you, first of all. In other words, this is what God says. One of the things that is, that is the top priority, I believe there's two things that are the most important things you can do for someone. Love them unconditionally. Loving unconditionally doesn't mean you approve of everything they do. In fact, if I'm doing something wrong, you don't need to approve of that, nor do I need to approve of something you're doing wrong. But I love you unconditionally. I love you regardless, and I need to pray for you. The two most important things you can do for anybody, love them unconditionally and pray. Pray and pray and pray for them. Remember, intercede literally means to go before royalty on behalf of someone. In Jesus' day and in Moses' day, it was a picture when someone you loved was in trouble and you would go before the king to beg for their pardon. It'd be like us going before the governor or the president asking God to intervene, asking them to intervene and to spare the life of someone we love or care about. Interceding. When you pray for your children or your spouse or your friends or your family, it's you going before the king of kings on behalf of someone else. That's awesome, isn't it? It's important. In fact, it's one of the most important things you can do. You're wondering today, what do I do for somebody? Love them unconditionally. Pray for them. Those are the first two things. The second thing is I want us to look at is some of the hows to do this effectively motivation. It's of top importance. How do we do this effectively? Here's the first thing. Get organized in your intercession. Now, we've been talking about prayer. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about if you're a Christian, you need to have a daily prayer time. If you're not a Christian, we want you to become one this morning. We hope and pray that'll happen in your life. If you are one, you need to have an organized time that you pray. If you're a brand new Christian, that may be 10 minutes a day. If you're an older, more mature Christian, maybe that's 30 minutes a day. We've talked about in that prayer time, you praise God. You forgive others. You confess your sins. You thank God. And we're talking about interceding. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about praying for ourselves. But intercession, praying for other people. Now, how do I do this effectively? How do I pray for the most people that I want to pray for? Two interesting verses in Philippians 1.4. Listen to what Paul says. Whenever I pray for pray, I make request for all of you. Did you get that? With joy. And Colossians 1.3. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul tells the people in Philippi, I pray for all of you. He tells the people in Colossae basically the same thing. I pray for all of you. Now, either Paul is lying, like we do a lot of times, and we say, I'll pray for you, and it never enters our mind again. Or either Paul was organized in how he prayed. What I'm going to challenge you to do this morning is to get organized in your intercession so you can pray for the biggest amount of people and make the biggest impact. 
If, if, how many of you get e-thoughts? It's a, an electronic uh, daily devotion. Many of the people who write for it in our church, I would encourage you to get it. Call the office. Brittany will help you uh, know how to get that. And it's, 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 it's really good. A few weeks ago, one of the guys that wrote was a professor of mine named Dan Crawford, and he talked about using Facebook. You could, it could be any social media, but he says with his Facebook, when he has friends who have birthdays, he prays for them. So every year he's able to pray for seven, eight hundred, nine hundred people just by using his Facebook friends who have birthdays. That's pretty cool. Let me give you another thing. I was taught this 30 years ago, literally 30 years ago this August or September in a class about how to pray effectively for the biggest amount of people. I want to encourage you to go home today. Today or, or, or this week, when you have some time, whether it's on your laptop, your iPad, or whether you want to do it longhand, I want you to make some lists. Write down, first of all, your immediate family. Who are the people I need to pray for every day? Immediate family. And then list all of the family that you can think about. All your in-laws, your outlaws, your great cousins, your second cousins, your 15th cousins, your uncles, everybody you can think about. Now, for some of you, that may be 10 people. Some of you, it may be 500 people. Write those names down. Then do that with your friends. Make a friends list. Hopefully, you have more than three. If you write down some of you older people, people that you've been friends with through the years, make a list of your friends. Make a list of your ministers. Make a list of churches and other ministers' places that you know. Make a list of people that you go to school with or that you work with or you play on sports teams with. Make a list of your neighbors. Make a list of your enemies. Hopefully your neighbors and your enemies aren't the same people. But when I say enemies, hopefully it's not people you dislike, but people who dislike you or struggle with you. Make a list of missionaries you know. Make a list of our city and state and government leaders. So you've got, you got seven or eight lists. Now listen, here's what you do with that list. You may have 500 people. You may have 300 by the time you're done. It looks overwhelming. You, you can do it in several ways, but one thing is you can take all those names and divide them by 30 and pray for 10 people. That would be 300 people a month. Pray for 10 people a day. It will amaze you First of all, how many people you need to be praying for. Secondly, it will amaze you how you will pray for so many people when you do this. I'm going to embarrass I see my cousin Kelly here. I don't know if Christy's here, but 30 years ago when Kelly was a little bitty baby, uh, Kelly and I, my cousin, she lived in a long way. I lived in Texas. She lived, I think, in Illinois then. We saw each other once a year at Christmas. I had her family down on my prayer list, and I looked, and I found that 30 years later. Isn't that neat? Uh, and now she's uh, baptized her a week or two ago in our church. It, it'll amaze you how many people that you can pray for. Listen, there's a lot of people that, seriously, there's a lot of people that are not going to get prayed for if you don't step up to the plate and do it. Get organized in your prayer life. There you go, well, that's not spiritual. Oh, it's most, if, you're, if your organization is a spiritual thing, and it'll help you accomplish some great things. Get organized. Here's, a, here's another thing. Why do we pray for others? What do I pray for others? Okay, I want to pray for people. I've got, I've got my great uncle on here. I hadn't seen in 20 years. Why do I pray for him? Or why do I pray for my friends? Why do I pray for my neighbors? First thing I would tell you to do is you pray for spiritual issues. This is the number one thing. Listen, folks, if, if, a person, if a person is a great athlete, a great student, and becomes a multimillionaire, and they die and go to hell, none of that matters. 
But if a person can find Jesus on this life, that matters for eternity, doesn't it? And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, let's look at this. We're going to look at these six verses. I urge, first of all, that prayer for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Verse 2, pray this way for kings. We could say presidents and leaders. All who are in authority so that we will live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. We need the people in Washington to get along so they'll leave us alone. Amen? This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who, who wants who to be saved? Everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Verse 5, for there's one God, one mediator who came to reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. In verse 6, he gave his life to purchase the freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world just at the right time. Here's the first thing you pray for people. You pray they'll be saved. You pray they'll be saved. Donald Barnhouse was a great preacher in Philadelphia years ago, and he was famous for saying this, this kind of prayer. Every Sunday at the, at the closing of the service, he would stand up, he would raise his hand, and he would say, I pray the peace of God on all of you who are Christians here this morning. And those of you who are not Christians, I pray that God will give you no peace until you become a Christian. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? You say, well, I don't know their spiritual condition. Pray that they'll get saved. And if you're wrong and they're saved, you hadn't lost anything, have you? you? You know they're a Christian. Pray for their spiritual growth. This morning is I'm praying for family members and friends that live in other places. I, I don't just believe in church because I'm a pastor. I believe in church because I think it's the body of Christ. And people need to be in church. Pray they'll be in church. Pray they'll listen to God and they'll follow God. And they'll stay in God's will. Listen, the most important thing you can pray for anybody is for their spiritual condition and development. Years ago in Tennessee, before I moved to Texas, I was kind of an interim pastor at a real little church. They had one deacon. He was kind of the leader of the church. His name was Stanley Turberville. And Stanley was a really good guy. And he told me one evening, he said, Chris, I have a daughter that lives many, many miles from here. I hadn't seen in years. And she's far from God. I don't know if she's a Christian I don't know if she's just a Christian who is way, way, way from God. He said, here's what I'm praying for. He said, I'm praying God will do whatever he has to do to bring her back to him. I was 22, but I knew, whoa. Let me warn you this morning, don't pray that unless you really mean it. Because God might take you seriously. (laughs) But here's what Stanley told me. He goes, Chris, if she's not saved... And God has to do something extreme to get her saved. It's worth it. And as a Christian, if she is a Christian and she's so far from God, whatever has to happen for her to get right with God, that's what I pray. Spiritual issues are first. Here's the second thing. Pray for everything in their lives. Everything in their lives. There's a story told of a, a happened in a church. I think we have a picture of it, and I'll explain it. There was a pastor, he, he did what we do. He asked people to come down during the invitation and let them pray for him. And this man came down and he said, Pastor, would you pray for my hearing? And before he could say anything else, the pastor put his hands on the man's ears and he began to pray. He began to pray that God would heal his hearing and restore his healing and fix his hearing. And he went on about three minutes and he was praying in faith. He was praying sincerely. And then he said, God, heal this man, heal his hearing, amen. And he looked at the man and he said, Sir, how how is your hearing? And the guy said, I have no idea. It's Tuesday at the courthouse. 
It is. Is that not funny? Okay, y'all, something's wrong with you guys. Okay, here's the point of that. Pray for their hearing. Pray for their hearings. Pray for everything in people's lives. Start with spiritual, but pray for everything. In my first little church, we had a lot of college students. And, and we would, college students, on Wednesday night, we all met for prayer meeting. And it was a weird church. We had prayer meeting and you actually prayed. I've never seen that anywhere else. And so we would take prayer requests. And a lot of the students would say, pray for, I got a test. Pray for this test, this test. And I had this, this guy, he was about 40. And he came up to me and he was, you know, he was being real spiritual. He goes, I think those students are kind of immature, always asking for prayer requests for their test. I said, when was the last time you took a test, pal? If you're taking a test tomorrow, is, do you want prayer for that? Now, let me give y'all a piece of advice. Don't, don't not study and pray and then blame God when you fail. That's like eating uh, uh, a 12-pack of donuts and asking God to help you lose weight. It ain't going to happen. God expects cooperation on the human side of it. Have y'all ever noticed that? But pray for everything. Philippians 4, 6. I love this. Listen to what it says. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? The big things, the small things. Listen, the more you pray, that shows a dependency on God. Some of you don't pray about the little things because you think you've got it all under control. Praying about everything shows that you're depending on God. Pray about everything. When you're, talking, when you're praying for somebody else, pray for their spiritual life, for their athletic life, for their academic life, for their health. Pray about everything. Somebody gives you a request, write it down. Paper's a lot more accurate than brains, remember? Get organized. Pray for people. Pray for everything in their life. Here's another thing. Pray for them as you want to be prayed for. Pray for them as you want to be prayed for. A lot of times when we pray for other people, it's a little nonchalant. Eh, God be with them, help them, you know. God, take care of this. I pray they get better. I pray they feel better. Matthew 7, 12 says, Do unto others as you would have them do to you. One of the best principles you can apply to praying for other people is pray for them as you want to be prayed for. Let me give you two thoughts on this. The first is passion. I had the stomach virus two weeks ago, and as I lay in the floor begging God to take me to heaven, <laughs> listen, we don't ever have to waterboard prisoners of war. Just give them the stomach virus. I'm telling you, within, within three hours, I would have given up the whole family. I'd have said, you're going to kill my wife? She's in the other room. Just give me the medicine now, please. Let me tell you how weird men are. John Morgan and I are eating lunch two weeks ago. We're eating lunch after I've got over, and we're talking about the stomach virus at lunch. Compare it, yeah, the Turkish stomach virus he had. And I, you know, that's just, you don't do that at a Mexican restaurant, do you, if you're normal? But we, we were doing it. We were, we, were, we were doing it. When I pray for me, I'm passionate. Aren't you? You got the stomach virus or a toothache? Brandon's got a toothache. It's like a guy, I hope he gets feeling better, you know. If not, he'll go to the dentist in a month or two. He'll be fine. But when I got a toothache, it's, oh, God, please help me today, right now, please. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 17, listen to what Moses says. Please, Lord, prove your power. When Moses was praying for these people, you can see the intensity, the passion. Please, God, help them. When you pray for others, pray for them with passion like you do for yourself. Secondly, be specific. Pray with specificity. 
Pray for him specifically. In verse 19, he says, I am keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love. Pardon the sins of the people. Listen, their greatest need right now was one thing, for God not to kill them, for God to pardon them. He wouldn't, Moses didn't say, oh God, if there's anything you can do for these people, I ask your blessings on them now, Lord, as we are about to take some bread and have supper. Moses said, God, please specifically don't kill these people. You can't always be specific. You don't always know. Sometimes people are going to just say, pray for me. I can't tell you what it's about. God knows what it's about. Lift them up. We have a great prayer minister here at this church. I hope you're on it. You'll get lists of people to pray for. Some of them times it's just names. And you just pray, God, if they need to be saved or come back to you, may that happen. God, I don't know what the issue is, but you do, and I lift their name up. But if you know, if you can be specific, be specific. When you pray for yourself, you're specific and passionate. Honor people the same way. Let me give you uh, another thought. When you're praying for others, appeal to God's Word and His nature. And I'll explain this. What do I mean by this? In verse 14 through 16... Moses is praying for these people. Listen now, he prays. God, if you destroy the Egyptians, the Egyptians will send, destroy these people, the Egyptians will send a report to the inhabitants of this land who already have heard that you live among your people. They know, Lord, that your pillar of cloud hovers over them. They know that you go before them in the pillar of cloud by night and the pillar of uh, of fire by night, the, the cloud by day. Now, if you slaughter these people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will say, the Lord was not able to bring them out of the land he swore to give them. In this day and age, when two countries went to war, the country that won claimed their God got the victory. And the country that lost, they said their God failed them. It's interesting, when Moses is praying for these people, he appeals to God's nature. I mean, his fame and his glory. He said, look, God, intervene for these people for your sake, for your name. And, and on in this passage, verse 18 through and 19, He says, Lord, you're slow to anger and you're filled with an unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. You don't excuse the guilty. You lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. But God, in keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of the people. He, he, he refers to that unfailing love there. That's a great Hebrew concept of God, that God's merciful. God's loving. He's a loving, kind, merciful God. Listen. When you're praying for yourself and other people, appeal to God's name. Say, God, man, I want you to intervene to get the glory. I hope you know Scripture well enough to pray Scripture to God. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. The next time you're praying, say, God, you told me to ask, and I'm asking. God, I'm seeking. I need to find. Show me something. This is not a magic wand, and I'm not sure you're reminding God as much as you're reminding you, but it helps you when you pray for other people to ask God to intervene in their lives for His name, His glory, and based on His promises. Appeal to His nature and His word. Here's another thing, and man, this is irreplaceable too. Stay with it. See, some of you are about ready to quit. You've been praying for somebody for two months, and nothing's happened, so you're going to quit. You've been praying for them for two years. 
you're going to quit. Some of you have been praying for somebody for 10 or 20 years, and you, you're just about to the end of your rope. Luke 18, 1. Jesus told his disciples a story to show they should always pray and never give up. Last sermon in this series is going to be on that verse. So I'm touching on it this morning. When you're praying for people, you pray for them till you die or they die. There's a lady in Texas. Her name was Marie. She got married in 1945. She married a man who was not a Christian. She was a Christian. She knew she should have married a Christian, but she didn't. And she immediately began to pray that he would come to Christ. Five years go by. Ten years go by. Fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty years. He is still far from God. He'll go to church, you know, once every three or four months. No interest really in the things of God. Forty years go by. Fifty years go by. Fifty-four years go by. Easter Sunday, 1999. She invited her husband to church. At 78, he got saved. Fifty-four years after praying for him, he got baptized. Listen, this is funny. After he got saved and baptized, he was like, I don't know why people aren't coming to church and becoming Christians. This is the greatest thing ever. She said, you knucklehead, I've been telling you that for 54 years. It's funny how we get it when we get it, isn't it? You think Marie would tell you to keep praying for that person? Absolutely. Don't quit. Don't quit. You cannot underestimate the power of the devil and how the devil's working. You can't underestimate how stubborn some people are. You keep on keeping on. And lastly, let me give you a touch of motivation. Never forget, praying for others really matters. It really matters. Why do this? It matters. Verse 20. Listen to verse 20. The Lord said, I will pardon them, Moses, as you have requested. Because you prayed, Moses, I am going to pardon them. Listen, one man, one man stood in the gap and prayed, and a nation is spared. Say amen if that's awesome. And, and you're, you're just, you have the power that Moses has available to you. In Jesus Christ, you have that power. When you intercede, you're putting your hand in God's and you're putting your hand on them. You are connecting them and God. Praying for others really matters. This is not a religious sermon. This is a biblical sermon. It matters. It matters. It matters. How many of you know a man named George McCluskey? Now, let me clarify. He's been dead about 80 years. Anybody recognize that name at all? George McCluskey was a godly man, had two daughters, and he decided that he was going to set aside from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock every day to pray for his family. Some of you may be young Christians. Maybe you need to set aside five minutes a day. So here's what he began to do for his little girls. He began to pray they would become Christians at a young age. They would live for Jesus. He began to pray for their future husbands. He began to pray that their, their kids, his grandkids, would find Christ and live for Jesus. He began to pray for his great-grandkids. His two daughters became Christians at young ages. Both of them married ministers. Between the two of them, they had five kids, four girls and one boy. The four girls married preachers. The one boy became a preacher. From this group, there were several kids born, but two of them were boys, and they went to college, and they became roommates, became Christians. 
And George had said before he died, he said God had showed him that his kids, his grandkids, and great-grandkids were going to come to know the Lord and live for the Lord. These two boys go to college. They're roommates. When they're sophomores in college, one of them becomes a preacher. The other one is scared to death that God's going to make him be a preacher too. But he becomes a psychologist. He goes into psychology. You might know his name today. His name is James Dobson. How many of you know who James Dobson is? One of the most influential Christian leaders in the last 50 years. Focus on the family. He's written books. He's spoken to millions of people. He's preached everywhere. He's had influence upon influence upon influence. His cousin is H.B. London who worked for Focus on the Family. And it was a pastor for many years. And James Dobson has said many a time when I'd get up to speak at a church or I would write a book or I was getting on the radio show to speak to thousands and thousands of people, I had to wonder if my great-grandfather who I never met, who died before I was born, is not looking down from heaven and smiling and knowing that hour a day praying for these kids and grandkids and great-grandkids that I'd never met was that mattered. And folks, millions of people who never knew McCluskey have been impacted by his intercessory prayers. I want to challenge you and me. Let's be people who pray for other people. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I'm going to talk to you and challenge you in just a moment. If you're not a Christian... You're ready today to give your life to Christ. You're ready to do that. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart today. And today I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment, and when we do, here's what I want you to do. If you just prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart, or you're ready to do that, I know it's hard, but I want to ask you to leave your seat, whether you're in the balcony or on the floor. Come and talk to a minister. Cross that line with Jesus today. You'll never regret it. You're here this morning and you'd like to join our church. You can do it after church. Find me or one of our ministers. Or you can come in just a moment when we stand and you can join our church fellowship. We'd love for you to do that. Every Christian that's here today, I want to challenge you. Where you're standing or at the altar, make a commitment to be who you need to be. And make a commitment to spend the rest of your life praying for other people. Maybe you want to come to the altar, get on your knees and pray for some people. Or pray with a minister. But by all means, let's make this commitment. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.